Hi, and welcome to the GMC Sunday podcast, where our team from GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland, bring you our weekly message from the Lord. In this podcast, we bring you a series in the prophet Hosea, Power of the Redeeming Love of God. Hosea's story, his life and his prophetic word to Israel is about its, Israel's, promiscuity. In other words, their idolatry and going after other gods. This book does not leave the readers to guess about who God is, but instead introduces his uniqueness and sovereignty, a message much needed in the church today. Ultimately, the message of Hosea is one of divine compassion and a love that will not let God's people go. May these words from Hosea be a blessing to you today. But now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we give thanks, for in you we are called sons and daughters of the Most High King. Lord, we praise you, for you are the Alpha and the Omega. You've gone before us, and you go behind us. We praise you for your mighty works, which we are so privileged to read of in your word. Yet also be praised, Father, for you still work in mighty ways today. Father, we come to you this morning with boldness and expectation. And we ask that we would see you this day, that we would hear you this day. We come with this expectation because your word tells us that when we ask and knock at the door, you're there to answer. And like a good father, you're present and ready to receive us and bless us. Lord God, we are here for you today. We are here because we are your hands and feet. Lord, be praised this day and use us for your glory. Direct us, Lord, guide us, lead us. Father, we come gathered and united, but we all come from different situations. Some of us are heavily burdened, and I pray for a clarity of mind for those of us who are troubled and weary, and to realize and understand that you are ready to take our burdens from us. Lord, might we have the good sense to lay our burdens at your feet. For others, Father, some come having faced loss and bereavement, grief and strife. Lord, I pray for your wonderful care and comfort to come now and clothe those struggling with such difficulties. Thank you, God, that you care for us and desire to give us rest and healing. We praise your name. There are some of us, Lord, who are feeling great, some of us who right now are positive in mind. And for those people, I thank you. And I pray for an awareness of those around us who need some courage, who need a comforting arm around the shoulder, that we might act and carry the burdens of our brothers and our sisters. Lord God, we come to worship with nothing to give you but our praise and our thanks. And Lord, I thank you and I delight in the fact that there is nothing we can do to earn your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. 
nor is there anything we can do to eliminate ourselves from such things. Our faith in your Son is a gift from God. It's your glory, it's your praise, and how thankful we are that we simply benefit. What a privilege it is that we might gain from your reward. Lord God, help us to truly see how unworthy we are that we might grow in thankfulness and marvel at your greatness. Prepare our hearts now, Lord, as we pray the prayer Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Following our prayer, I hope this has prepared your heart to receive deeply from God's word, wherever you are today and however you are feeling. Please know that God's word is powerful with the ability to change your life. So listen in to the reading and the exposition from our preacher today. If anything in the readings or the message from the preacher challenges you, raises questions in your heart and your mind, or maybe you just want to know more about Christian faith and getting to know the Lord Jesus, we would love to hear from you. So get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. If you'd like to support GMC financially in our Ministry for the Kingdom, then offering details can be found on the homepage of our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. Um, so we're going to start a new series this morning um, on the prophet Hosea and the message that he had for the children of Israel. I think it'll last about six weeks, something like that. And today we're just going to look at the first chapter, but I thought I'd begin by giving you some background on Hosea. Hosea um, is the first of the 12 last books of the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, the last 12 books of the Old Testament are known as the Minor Prophets and Hosea is one of those. Minor generally because they are much shorter books, shorter and more succinct than say Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Daniel, but not minor in their message. Their message is of equal importance. There's no less value in these minor prophets. It's just that they're shorter books. Hosea's name in Hebrew it uh, means the same as Joshua or Jesus. It means salvation, and he's a very important prophet. His ministry spans a period of around 40 years, but the prophets are not in chronological order. Um, so Daniel uh, is preceded by more than about 150 years. Hosea's ministry roughly took place between seven 155 and 715 BC. And we know that from the, the opening uh, verses in Hosea. He tells the kings that he served under. So we know the time span. Hosea's ministry spans for at least a 40 year period. 
and his life and ministry is located during the period recorded in 2 Kings 14 to 20, though he's not mentioned, but that's the time span. So we know where his ministry sits under the different kings that he lists in his word. The apostle Paul quotes Hosea, and I I might come back to that, and Jesus quotes him in Matthew's gospel, but generally speaking, he's not mentioned outside of his own book. Hosea was a contemporary of Isaiah. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes of Israel. Israel was the north because it was split in two at this point. Judah was the southern kingdom. So Isaiah's prophesying to the southern kingdom, Hosea is prophesying to the northern kingdom. And he was a contemporary of Isaiah. There are two things that stand out when you study the book of Hosea, as I have been doing um, these past couple of weeks. Their spiritual apostasy, it was a time of spiritual apostasy and social in disintegration. And this was because priests failed to teach the people correctly. And in addition to that, you had one unrighteous king after another ruling the people. So these two things stand out, and we'll see that as we go through week by week. There's spiritual apostasy, because the people were not taught well, and there's social in disintegration because of unrighteous kings. And really, perhaps not too unlike our own culture today. If you're thinking, what does Hosea have to say to us today? Well, maybe not unlike our own culture today where we can see that there is spiritual apostasy, where some are not really being true to the word of God or true to the Lord in terms of what's being taught, what's being lived out in ministry and life. And we have that alongside a culture of often corrupt leadership. Those in situations of power in government who are not necessarily leading with integrity. And all of this can lead to social disintegration. So I would venture to say that actually the period that Hosea is prophesying and in the word that he has to say is very relevant for us today. You have this combination of spiritual apostasy and unrighteous leadership. There was a lack of the knowledge of God amongst the people of Israel. Unholy priests, unrighteous kings. No one was telling them about the Lord. And what they did get was poor teaching. They were a poor example. There was a lack of truth and the people were perishing as a result. And this actually becomes one of the most famous verses in the whole book of Hosea. In Hosea 4 and verse 6, it says, My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. And it's all your fault, you priests, for you yourselves refuse to know me. That's quite a statement. But we also read in Proverbs 29 and 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. So it wasn't a lack of education. It was a lack of the word of God and the knowledge of God. 
And the people of God are living in this state of apostasy. They're living in a state of moral and social disintegration. They're not being taught. They're not hearing about the Lord. They're not being equipped in their faith. They're not being told, this is God, and here are his righteous requirements. So you can imagine what fills the vacuum. Is that so different from today? Israel, at the beginning of Hosea's ministry, was living in a time of great blessing and prosperity. But towards the end of Hosea's ministry, the northern kingdom is in complete decline and indeed will be demolished. And isn't it often the case that when things are going well for us in life as a society, when we are flourishing, we take our eyes off of God and we start to believe we don't need God We attribute our wealth and our blessings to our own achievements. We become prideful. And in doing so, we begin to worship at other altars, whether we realize it or not. We fall asleep spiritually, and we leave ourselves open to the enemy's strategies for our lives and for our churches, our families, our nation. With his deceit and lies, the absolute truth is lost. The certainties of God are lost or compromised in the midst, and everything becomes relative. Your truth, my truth. So God calls Hosea to speak to the northern kingdom of Israel to awaken, to awaken them to their spiritual condition, really to awaken the conscience of a nation. And I believe that we as church have the same commission for such a time as this, to awaken the conscience of a nation which is in such moral, ethical, and spiritual confusion. But Hosea is called to do something very unusual by God. It's an unusual calling because in order to illustrate the relationship the people of Israel have with God, it's a somewhat broken relationship. So let's hear what God asks Hosea to do and read the first chapter of Hosea. The Lord gave this message to Hosea son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, these are southern kings, were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam of Joash, he was king of Israel. (coughs) When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. So he won't even be sure if they're his. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblum, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, For I'm about to punish King Yehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, 
I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and she gave birth to a daughter and the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah. See, when the, the Lord names a child, there's significance in their names. Not loved. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. But I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and chariots, but by my power as the Lord their God. After Gomer had weaned Lorahama, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. Oh no, what's coming next? And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, not my people. For Israel is not my people and I am not their God. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you're not my people, it will be said, you are children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God will again plant his people in his land. In that day you will call your brothers Ami, my people, and you will call your sisters Ruhamah, the ones I love. But now, bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she's no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, you can see this isn't going to be laugh a minute. This is serious stuff, it's serious stuff. Yeah. Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute and have children with her. Gomer was promiscuous and she did have extramarital affairs which did break Hosea's heart. Throughout the Bible, both in the New and Old Testaments, the covenant of marriage is often used as an illustration of God's relationship with his people In the Old Testament, it refers to his relationship with the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. For example, in Isaiah 54 and verse 5, it says, your creator will be your husband. And in Jeremiah 31 and 32, God says he is the husband of the people of Jerusalem. And they broke that covenant. So it's often used, the marriage is often used as an illustration. Sometimes it can be a father and his children, but a husband to his wife. And in the New Testament, we have the illustration of Christ and the church, described as his bride, the bride of Christ as the church. In Matthew 9, 14 and 15, we read, one day the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast? like we do and the Pharisees do. Then Jesus replied, do the wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? 
Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. So Jesus is often used in this illustration of a groom and his bride. And Paul also used this imagery in Ephesians 5, verse 31. As the scripture says, a man must leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Have you ever imagined the relationship that we have with God goes to that depth that it's compared to a marriage, that we are his bride. And as a bride, she's not looking too good at the moment. And in Revelation 19 and verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and the bride has prepared herself. Here's the good news. Jesus is coming back one day for his bride and he is making his bride ready. And his bride will be without spot or blemish. This picture of a marriage relationship, a marriage covenant was important enough for God to use it over and over. But as we know, marriage sometimes has its difficulties and challenges once in a while. Can you say that in church? I think we can. I know I can. Sorry, darling. Every marriage has its challenges and difficulties. Hosea's marriage, however, is a living illustration of God's relationship with the Jewish people and there are most definitely challenges in this relationship. The marriage is broken down. And it's not because God has done anything wrong. It's because the people have been unfaithful to him. They have, in a sense, committed adultery against God because they had other loves instead of God in their lives. Do we have other loves instead of God in our lives? Are we aware that spiritual adultery? So what is God to do? How is he going to get their attention? God asks this of Hosea, I want to use your marriage to communicate to my people the love I have for them. Because despite their unfaithfulness towards me, I do want to redeem them. I love them. Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute, a woman who will break your heart by being unfaithful to you. Now, Hosea is a single man, and he's a prophet. And God is asking him to choose this woman to be his wife, the town hooker. I want you to marry her. And you might be imagining that Hosea is thinking, I'm not sure this is the kind of woman I want to bring home to meet mom and dad. Can you remember when you went to meet your in-laws for the first time? You had your best dudes on, didn't you? You were on your best behavior. When I met Brian's family, I must have made an impression because they all said it'll never last. He's punching <laughs> above his weight. He's punching way above his weight. <laughs> 33 years, darling, they got it wrong. They got it wrong. <laughs> but can you imagine Hosea? I'm not sure I want to 
introduce this woman to my mom and dad. But God says, you have to trust me on this one, Hosea. And so Hosea is obedient and he marries Gomer. And you can imagine the response of the people in the community who would know Gomer very well. She'd have a reputation. And now God's prophet is marrying her. It would certainly get their attention. And I imagine they would have been aghast. How in the world can this holy man of God take such an immoral woman as this as his bride, this prostitute? I can't believe it. How can this happen? But what God is basically saying to them is, how can this happen? In the same way that I've taken you to be my bride. That's the point. This is a real life illustration. So Hosea and Gomer marry and they have three children. And there's a question mark over whether they're Hosea's or not. Two boys and a girl. And with each birth, God gives them a name. So this is now becoming a whole family illustration. It's not just Hosea and Gomer anymore. It's the whole family. The names of the children will also illustrate the relationship God has with his people and what he is intending to do about it because we have a loving and compassionate God, but he's also a just God. He will not turn away from sin without dealing with it. He loves us too much. So the names of the children are going to illustrate what's going to happen. In verse four, name the child Jezreel. Jezreel is a valley uh, beside Jerusalem. But in the context of this prophetic word, it reveals the just punishment that is coming. The name Jezreel reveals prophetic judgment. The blood of Jezreel relates to the violent acts that took place under the leadership of King Yehu. I know you're getting a lot of history today, but you've got to get the context. And he was appointed king or anointed king at a time when the land and its people were going through actually many corrupt kings. And they were saturated by Baal worship. Baal worship was everywhere. And Yehu was commissioned to deal with King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Do you remember them? Do you remember the story of Jezebel and Ahab? Ahab wanted this vineyard that belonged to Naboth near the palace. He wanted to turn it into a wee veggie garden. He had umpteen vineyards, but he wanted that one. And he couldn't get it because Naboth refused to sell his inheritance. And he's so upset about it that Queen Jezebel, who's a priestess of Baal and a witch, said, you woos, let me get it for you. And she does. She gets the vineyard for him and it results in Naboth's death. So the place is soaked in Baal worship. You've got Ahab and Jezebel. And Yehu is told to deal with the violent acts that took place under the leadership of this king. What went wrong was Yehu dealt violently with all the kings who followed Baal worship. He killed all of Ahab's family, including Jezebel and 70 sons, relatives and friends. 
Yehu left no man standing who was in alliance with King Ahab. He eradicated Baal worship in Israel. Now we might think that was a good thing, but in doing so, he exceeded the mandate he'd been given from God, and he was excessive in the number of people he killed without mercy, and God was upset with Yehu's bloodthirstiness. He was only supposed to deal with Ahab's family. He went beyond his brief. He got proud. He thought, I'll do God's job for him. I'll get rid of Baal worship. And pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit goes before a fall. God does not need our help beyond what he asks of us. Please hear that. I have to put my hand up and say, I've suffered often from a savior complex. Call Maggie to the rescue. Da-da-da-da. And sometimes you get mashed and God says, I didn't ask that of you. That wasn't your battle. You've got to know your battle. And you've got to know what it is that God's asked of you. And don't go beyond that because we must never seek to steal his glory. Because that's what we're doing when we take it upon ourselves to go further than God's asked of us. So although King Yehu took care of his assignment from God by destroying Baal worshippers, ultimately, he failed to take care of his walk with God. And he himself fell into idolatry. It didn't end well for him. And in this, we might realize success can sometimes lead to pride and complacency if we're not careful. Yehu should have humbly thanked God for his help and rededicated himself to his service. Look what we did last week. Do you remember the service last week? Powerful. We made covenant with God, didn't we? We made covenant with God. Well, friends, God wants us to keep our covenant. When we succeed, we need to heed that we don't get proud. Pride comes before a fall. And although it's true that God blesses and grants success to those who seek him and obey him, God can also pull away his blessing from one who willfully chooses to live in sin. So the name Jezreel, given to Hosea's firstborn, reveals prophetic judgment to come. Its meaning in Hebrew is God scatters can also mean God sows, but in this context, it's God scatters. And in a little while, whether they realize it or not, the children of Israel are months away from being scattered. The Assyrians are going to invade, attack in 722 BC, and they will take the people into captivity captivity, literally scattering them throughout the empire. This was the strategy of the Assyrians. They displaced their enemies and then they scattered them all over to assimilate them into the various populations and cultures so that the strength and identity of the Jewish people of the Israelites would be weakened with mixed marriages and different traditions. That was their strategy. We've heard about wandering Jews. They're scattered all over the place. 
They were scattered all over the known world. And this is before the southern kingdom is invaded by the Babylonians and taken into exile. It happened to them as well, though not to the same degree. The blessing of God remained on the southern kingdom and a remnant remained. We don't have time to go into all of that. Verse six, child number two comes along and it's a girl and God says, I want you to name her Lo Ruhama. Now Lo in Hebrew means no. So when it's used as a prefix, it's a negative. And Ruhama means mercy. So he is saying no mercy, not loved. That's what I want you to name child number two. I don't know about you, but when I was pregnant and trying to think of names for my children, I did things like get a baby book with all the names, and you really wanted to avoid names of people you didn't like or you were none too fond of. And although I liked biblical names, I would never have considered Jezebel or Judas for one of my children because there's such a negative association with these names. I imagine there's not many people want to call their children Adolf today, for example. You're careful about the names that you give for your kids because names mean a lot. Can you imagine this little girl going to school? Hi, what's your name? No mercy. That's my name. No mercy, don't mess with me. God says, I want you to call your child no mercy because I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. I want your children to present the message here. Verse nine, child number three comes along and by now you're dreading what the next one's name gonna be. You're to name him Lo-Ami. Remember, Lo means no, it's a negative. You are not my people. I am not your God, not my people. This is the most serious condemnation of all. It's a complete reversal of the covenant declaration. Instead of the usual, I will be their God and they will be my people, the Lord declares in the naming of this third child, you are not my people and I am not your God. (sighs) How can they ignore these revelations and warnings any longer? Is there any hope? for these people. Friends, God does not break covenants. He does not break covenants, even when we fail to keep them. He will use remedial action, but he does not break them. His ways are not our ways, and God does make a way. So we get to verse 10 and verse 11, and at this point, the prophecy changes course and it asserts the exact opposite of what has just been said. And the reversal is striking. Instead of disowning Israel, just as he has done, he now promises to bless them and bless their numbers like the immeasurable sand of the seashore. Remember, this is the covenant that he made with Abraham. And those who have been declared not my people are now named children of the living God. What can this possibly mean? Well, Israel and Judah have been sharply distinguished just three verses earlier. Now together, they will be united under one head under a future Davidic king, verse 11. Thus, the oracle overrides the earlier promise made by the naming of Hosea's children. 
Everything said against them is taken back. And this joyous day will happen where else but in Jezreel, which, remember, also means God sows. He will scatter them, but he will once again sow them back in the land. This is the hope that is given. Israel will once again be a bountiful harvest as God plants his people back in the land of promise. We need to wind this up. So the introductory chapter of Hosea featuring a terrible marriage and children given the most awful names in order to make theological points starts with judgment, but it ends with grace. Amen? It ends with grace. The phrase is, I am your people. You are my people. Or some form of these are found many times in the book of Hosea. It's relational language that echoes the relationship between a husband and wife, a father and son. God threatens to divorce or disown Israel, but ultimately envisions a future forgiveness and restoration that stands today. Whatever is happening in Israel today, But this future is connected with the taking on of a new head of Davidic lineage. And in this, we ultimately see Jesus, who personally fulfilled the prophecy on behalf of Israel. Jesus on the cross suffered the ultimate punishment on behalf of his people. What could God do? This is how much he loves us. He warned them, he scattered them, he exiled them, he forgave them, but ultimately, that wasn't enough to deal with their sin. He sent his son to become sin and open the way and restore the relationship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Paul saw in Hosea the whole theology of election I'm not going to go into it. Read it for yourselves. But Paul saw it as God accepting the Gentiles as well as the Jews in Hosea. Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ. God surprisingly elects some for salvation who were previously enemies of God. So what should be our response to all of this? Should we not live humbly and faithfully as God's people and not repeat the mistakes of past generations who replaced God in their hearts with idols? That's where we are now. God's been replaced in so many instances with idols. Should we not ensure that pride doesn't creep in and cause us to fall or become complacent? You know, churches can get proud. And it usually doesn't end well. God broke off dead branches to make room for the Gentile church. We were grafted into that vine. We have not replaced the vine. The vine still exists. Jesus is the vine. And we are a branch. Salvation is from the Jews. But God does and will break off any dead branches that threaten the vine.
Hosea starts with judgment, but it ends with grace. And throughout this book, God's own heart is on display. If you want to know God's heart, read Hosea. He wants to punish Israel, but he also wants to take her back. He desires to withhold forgiveness and mercy because of his people's infidelity, but he seeks to provide grace. So are we ready to trust God on this journey, having made covenant with him last week? You're about to find out what that means over the next few weeks of Hosea. And I want to warn you now, it's not going to be comfortable. But ultimately, it is life-giving and life-affirming, this journey, to serve a faithful, just, and graceful God, and to know his will for our lives, and for our families, and for our community, and for our nation. God is preparing his bride. So this word from Hosea is so appropriate to us at this time. I wondered when Mike chose it at the beginning of the year, I thought, ooh, ooh, Hosea, right, marry a prostitute. This is not an easy one, but I totally understand why God has led him to this book. Let us pray. Father, sometimes it's difficult for us to imagine ourselves, the church, as the bride of Christ. We all have images of what a bride is. And such is the depth of your love. There's nothing you won't do and nowhere you won't go to reach her and love her and prepare her. We have made covenant with you as a people here And in that, we must submit to that whole process of being made holy and what that will mean for us. Changes in our lives. Putting some things down because you must come first. Please help us where we're struggling. Help us in the areas that bring us pain. Help us if we are in difficult marriages. Show us the way ahead. Fill us with your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the prophetic word of Hosea and thank you for his willingness to be obedient to the very difficult call that you gave him. Thank you for his children and his marriage. Thank you for what their names mean to us. That even though our sin deserves punishment, You responded with Jesus and the cross that takes away the sin of the world. So we have a new covenant shed by his blood. We praise and thank you for that. And we know our salvation is all because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team at GMC Dunfermline. 
Again, if you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org or find us on Facebook or look back at some of our videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page on our website. Again, details are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. If you liked what you heard, then please share this podcast with friends and family and colleagues. Share the Word of God. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, and the soundtrack is above all by Lenny LeBlanc and Paul Beloche, performed by Gordon Eastop and Mike Weaver. Thanks for listening, and God bless.